Good morning, Hope. What a special and beautiful Bible reading that was today. Uh, Lucas, as you just heard uh, him reading the scripture, and his wife Nikki have been a part of the Hope Ames congregation for a number of years. As you heard him share in that scripture reading, he is currently deployed. So keep, please keep him and his family, his wife Nikki, in your prayers as they, nav- as they navigate this, uh, this next season of their life. But praise God for that beautiful reading of Proverbs 31 that we heard this morning. Um, My name is Sarah. I am uh, on staff here at Hope Ames. You guys are probably more used to seeing me on stage on a Sunday morning singing and playing guitar. But another praise to God for how he has so generously gifted this congregation with a number of talented musicians. Thank you, Allison and team, for leading us so beautifully into the presence of God this morning. Well, as you already heard, our passage this morning is on Proverbs 31. Um, It's a well-known passage in Scripture. And when I was growing up, not far from here, about 45 miles west in Jefferson, I was the youngest of seven siblings. And I remember hearing my dad regularly call my mom a Proverbs 31 woman. I didn't know what that meant but I knew it sounded like a good thing. So I will never forget the day when I was old enough to read it and I opened up my Bible and I grabbed it and I read through Proverbs 31 and I read about a woman who gets up before dawn to make breakfast for her family. I read about a woman whose lamp never goes out at night. I read about a woman who spins wool and flax. (laughs) And I thought, you know, I think I'm good. (laughs) I think, you know, maybe instead of being like a woman of valor, maybe I can just be like a plucky gal who's keeping the wheels on. Like maybe that will be the thing I'm aiming for. And every time since then, I've approached Proverbs 31 with this like, okay, thing because it's held up in in scripture as this passage describing an ideal woman. So as those of us who follow the Lord, ideally that's what we're supposed to aspire toward and and want and and desire. But what if we read that and we don't really want to stay up all night long? What if I don't want to get up before dawn and make breakfast? And what if I have no idea what in the world it means to spin some flax? I don't know. And so as I kind of opted out of that distinction, as I opted out of that categorization, I started to feel as though I was this woman who was on the outside looking in at godliness. Maybe those who were more domestic or more demure or more who who fit that categorization a little bit better, they maybe understood what it meant to be godly or what it meant to be virtuous. And I was on the outside looking in. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt as though you had something you wanted to give, something you wanted to contribute? You had something to share with the world, but for some reason it was unwelcomed. It was not the thing that was held up as this ideal standard. My family and I have been watching uh, this movie Encanto a lot lately. And if we're not watching the movie, we're listening to the music because it's so good. Um, Did Jean walk in on me last week when I was just listening to the music by myself? Yeah, so it's fine. It's a kid's movie. It's fine. Um, It's good music. 
Uh, but there's a, there's a family that this story uh, is about, and it's the Madrigal family. And the thing about the Madrigal family is that as each member of this family reaches the uh, certain age, they receive a gift or they receive a miracle that enables them to serve their community and serve their family in a special way. So one woman receives this gift of incredible strength so she can move actual mountains and buildings. She's really strong. There's another woman who can make everything beautiful. Everything she touches and sees can become like this beautiful array of flowers and it's just perfect. There's another woman that if there's somebody who's sick or wounded, they can come to her and she will make them something that they can eat and they will be healed. And then we meet our character, Mirabelle. And as she comes of age, she goes and has the day where she is supposed to be given her special gift, and she doesn't get one. She just doesn't, and she's the only one in her family who doesn't get it. And so we run into her in this clip several years after she has been denied, really, this special gift. Let's take a look. Everyone, together! La Familia Madrigal! Don't be upset or mad at all. Don't feel regret or sad at all. Hey, I'm still a part of the family, Madrigal, and I'm fine, I am totally fine. I will stand on the side as you shine. I'm not fine, I'm not fine. I can't move the mountains, I can't make the flowers bloom, I can't take another night.
felt like that? Have you ever felt like there was something you wanted to give, something that you wanted to be, some place you wanted just to belong, but you, you didn't have the thing, you didn't have the qualifications, you didn't meet this criteria to belong? I think if a lot of particularly women in this room are, are truthful with ourselves and with those around us, we might admit that Proverbs 31 sometimes has been taught in a way that's caused us to feel that way. That's caused us to feel as though there's this criteria of godliness and this criteria of womanhood that's very specific, fairly domestic, and maybe just we don't always fit it. Sometimes Proverbs 31 in recent church history has been taught in a way that has done harm to the women that have been so beautifully gifted and appointed by God to do great and marvelous things for his kingdom. But what if we haven't been studying it the right way? What if there's another way to read Proverbs 31 that's actually like pretty juicy? What if there's a way to look at Proverbs 31 that as we approach it, we can remember that first thing, it wasn't written yesterday, it was written a few thousand years ago. It wasn't, by, it wasn't written by somebody who's a, a modern Western academic, it was written by an ancient Jewish man. And what if we also remember at the time that it was written, there were other cultures around Israel that were also writing poetry about women. What if we took a new look at Proverbs 31 with that type of context? So I mentioned other cultures that were also writing about women. There were some poems I was studying the last couple of weeks written by the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture, and they primarily celebrated two things about women. They celebrated their silent work in the home, emphasis on their silence, and they also celebrated their eroticism, their ability to provide sexual gratification. So other cultures are celebrating two things about women, their silence and their sexuality, and then here comes Proverbs 31 and says, no, first of all, the women that God has given to our community, to our culture, are not silent. In fact, we trust them, they give wise counsel, and they teach. And beauty is actually criticized as fleeting in this passage. So that's the lens that we're going to take a look at Proverbs 31 today. And we're going to talk about a couple of things that Proverbs 31 is and a couple of things that Proverbs 31 is not. And I'm just going to give you like a little bit of a heads up. We're going to have a little bit of a Bible-y message today. I'm hoping that's okay because of where we are. Um, but I want to help uncover for you just how rich how relevant and how empowering this passage of scripture is. So the first thing that Proverbs 31 is, is, is a poem. It is a poem and it's an acrostic poem. It is not a set of criteria for women in order to be godly. So we can all just go, whew, yay, good. I have no interest in flax. Um, so first things first, it's an acrostic poem, which means every phrase starts with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason that the author approached it this way is because he is saying, I am going to describe the women that God has gifted and the women that God has given to us, and I am going to describe them Aleph to Ta in Hebrew, or A to Z, because I want to describe the vastness and the fullness and the experience 
expansive nature in which God has given them, even if I could never even come close to describing all of it. The other thing that this passage of scripture is, it's an acrostic poem. Now, do we look at poetry today and take it literally and prescriptively? No, we don't. We look at it and we appreciate it for its beauty. We look at it and we take to heart the artistic imagery that's created with the words. And so for this next section of time, please bear with me. I don't think it'll be too boring, but we're going to talk about four specific verses in this passage of scripture that have some really powerful imagery to help paint this picture of how God has gifted women, how he gifted them then, and how he has continued to gift them through pouring his spirit in. So the first verse, verse 10 of this poem, who can find a noble and virtuous wife. That word virtuous, I think a lot of us think like, okay, so nice, does the right thing, follow all the rules. Virtuous in this context, if you look it up in the Hebrew, the other ways that this term virtuous has been used is to describe victorious men in battle. It's describing Israel's heroes. This word virtuous is a military term. It describes great strength, great power, and great heroism, which is a far cry from how we've sometimes heard it taught before. So a lot of times scholars look at this poem and they say, okay, so are we trying to look at Proverbs 31 starting at verse 10? Is this like a poem of praise for women? Is that the, this, this, the category of biblical writing that it belongs in? Or is it a poem of a hero? because there are multiple types of poems in the Bible, and one of the genres is heroic poetry. So you find heroic poetry written about Deborah, or about David, or even about King Saul. And most scholars agree, because of the military language that's not used, not just in verse 10, but throughout the whole passage, that this belongs, this poem about Proverbs 31, about women, belongs in the heroic poetry category in scripture. And when we categorize it in that space, here's what we're saying. We're saying God does great and marvelous things through the women who put their confidence and their trust in their faith in the God of Israel. God will work through women through his spirit to accomplish great and mighty things for the kingdom of God, just like he works through David, just like he works through Deborah, just like he works through Moses. God is working through women who put their confidence in trust in him. And that categorizes them as a hero who does great works for the kingdom of God. The second passage of scripture that has some pretty cool poetry. You know that passage that we talked about, about how like women get up early and make breakfast for their family? Everybody's favorite part. This part where it says breakfast is translated really gently. That word is actually pray, P-R-E-Y. And so, yeah, it's an interesting spin. But what it's saying is she wakes up before dawn, kind of like a lioness goes and hunts while it's still dark to gather prey for her family. 
This image that it's creating here is of a woman who uses her prowess, who uses her ingenuity, who uses her skills, who uses her strength and her bravery and do whatever it takes to provide for her family. It's not just about making breakfast. It's about how God has gifted her with wisdom to provide. And so sometimes if that means coming home from work and grabbing a frozen pizza, because that's what the kids are gonna like and that's what's gonna get them into bed and that's what's gonna help you like get through the night, well done, woman of virtue. <laughs> well done. Just one more thing about this. This is not celebrating women who don't sleep. Psalms would actually criticize that. There's a number of, of passages in scripture that encourage us to take rest. So for those of us who've read about Proverbs 31 and sound, thought, oh, she sounds really tired. Um, poetic imagery. Take a deeper look, it's really fun. Okay, the next one, number three of four, I promise we're gonna get through this section. Number three, she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. That's Proverbs 31, 25. Now laughs, right? You think, oh sweet, she's a happy lady, she's joyful. Military term, laughs as though she's standing over a defeated adversary. This type of laughter here is actually mocking laughter and she is mocking the uncertainty, the unfamiliarity and the lack of control that she holds over the future. She's looking at the future and saying, I don't know, but my God has already been there. And my God who has been before me will also go beside me into the future. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the God that has already been there and I know the God that goes beside me. This is what it means to put our trust and confidence in the Lord. It means we can acknowledge truthfully that we don't control the future. But when those thoughts in our head, full of dread and panic and fear and anxiety, come in and try to remind us of how little control we have and try to remind us of all the terrible things that can happen and try to remind us of how dark the future might look, God's invitation to us is to put our full confidence, our hope, and our trust in him and stand over that fear of the future as though it is a defeated enemy. You know why? Because it is. And not because we hold any power, but because our confidence is in the one who created all our days and who has numbered all of our days. The last passage with um, some poetic imagery, the whole chapter is full of them, but the last one that I wanna highlight for you today is verse 31, 26. So far, so far, this woman in Proverbs 31, as we're taking some of a deeper dive, she sounds kind of like a boss lady. She sounds a little intense, right? But in Proverbs 31, 26, it says, when she speaks, her words are wise and she gives instructions with kindness. That word kindness there is the same word that's used to describe God's loving kindness, God's mercy, God's compassion, and God's care. It's the word chesed, and we've talked about the word chesed here. It's a special word in the Old Testament. And in this passage, this woman as described, is this woman is described as, as demonstrating and showing that same loving kindness and compassion that God has showed all of us 
women, as we put our trust in God and we receive his loving kindness, he fills us with his spirit and enables us to pour that loving kindness back into our families, into our home, into our friendship, into our work, and into our community. Now, there is one woman in scripture who has received this designation as a virtuous wife. It says, who can find a virtuous wife? Excuse me, I misspoke. She was called a virtuous woman in this verse. There's one woman in scripture who's received the designation of being a virtuous woman with that same sort of Hebrew language. Does anybody, like you can shout it out, does anybody have any guesses of who it might be? You would think, right? But no. Anyone else? It's not somebody that I would necessarily expect, and it's actually somebody who was called this before this chapter was written. It's Ruth. Now, we meet Ruth through the family of Naomi. Naomi and her family are Israelites. They're living in Bethlehem, and they are starving. There's a famine in the land. And so they leave Bethlehem, and they go to a place called Moab, which was not considered to be a super friendly space for Israelites to be, but there they are. As they're there, Naomi's husband dies, and she has two sons, and they both marry women from Moab. One of her sons marries a woman named Orpah, and the other marries a woman named Ruth. After about 10 years, both of her sons also die. Tragedy has struck this family numerous times, and it's devastating because now Naomi and her daughters-in-law are facing starvation. They have no way to survive without an heir, without men to provide. They have, they have no means of, of practical survival. So Naomi says, I'm gonna go back to Israel. I'm gonna go back to Bethlehem and maybe I can survive there. And her daughters-in-law go with her and Naomi, Naomi tries to turn them around and say, don't come with me. You all have enough time to make a new life. You can have a second chance, stay here. Orpah tearfully agrees and Ruth refuses. And Ruth says, I will not leave your side, Naomi. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she goes as far as to say, where you die, I will die. And she links her fate and she links her survival and her future to this woman who has nothing. So they go back to Bethlehem and through God's loving kindness to them, they see how he's providing creative ways for them to live and to eat. So Ruth goes and she sees it's harvest time. And so she goes behind the male workers in the field. And as they drop stuff that they're gathering from harvest, she picks it up. She's allowed to do this. She picks it up. So there's her ingenuity at play and at work in providing. And that's what she takes home to eat for her and Naomi. And as the community sees Ruth's love and compassion and bravery and strength and wisdom coming into place, the man who would eventually become her husband, Boaz, says, everybody in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. Now, something that's different between Ruth and this woman we read about in Proverbs 31, 
Ruth is called a virtuous woman before she's married, right? She's lost her husband. She's called a virtuous woman before she has any children. She's actually battled infertility for, what, 10 years? She's called a virtuous woman before she has enough money to buy a field and plant a vineyard. She's broke. She's caring for an elderly parent. So all of the things that we might look at a surface level and see in Proverbs 31, Ruth doesn't have those things, and yet she is the only woman in Scripture to receive this designation. And it's not because of what she does, but it's because of the God in whom she has chosen to place her trust. And as she places her trust in him, she begins to look like him. In her loving kindness, in her wisdom, in her strength, in her bravery. Scripture later says that God does enable Ruth to conceive and she gives birth to a son. That son has a son, his name is Jesse, and that son has a son and his name is David. He turns out to be a big deal, he's a king of Israel. David has a son named Solomon. Solomon's the one who's attributed to writing the book of Proverbs. He asks God for wisdom and God gives it to him. This passage, ladies, isn't about what we do or what we have, but it's about the God in whom we place our trust and how his spirit lives within us. So the second thing that this passage is, is that it is an invitation for celebration. It is not a list to confine women to specific roles. So if you look earlier in the passage of Proverbs 31, you'll see that it's a mother talking to her king son. And she is describing this virtuous woman, woman not, so that she has, like, not so that he knows like, what a woman can or can't do, but so that he is not fooled into falling for someone who just has fleeting beauty. And it's so that he can recognize what virtue looks like so that he can celebrate it and praise her for it. There's still today a Jewish tradition that goes back a long, long, long time that before a Sabbath meal, the men in the home will sing Proverbs 31 over the women in their family to celebrate them for their strength, for their bravery, for their mercy, for their wisdom, and for all of the goodness of God that's within them. I think sometimes when we've looked at Proverbs 31, we felt like it was maybe trying to confine us into this space. But ladies, we see that God has put his spirit and put his seal upon us in a way that enables us to do great things for the kingdom of God. And God doesn't confine us. And let me just like be so bold as to say this, if God has given you the gift, God has given you the permission to put that gift to work and to enjoy it. So if you have been gifted and you enjoy having children and staying home, praise God. If you have been gifted and you enjoy starting a business, praise God. If you are retired, if you are a student, if you are young, if you are old, if you have children, if you don't have children, wherever you fall in this stage of life, God has called you to flourish. Now this passage is not about elevating women over men. 
Women don't have to push down men in order to flourish, and men don't have to push down women in order to flourish. Scholars would agree that Proverbs 31 is predicated on this idea that the men in this woman's life are equal contributors to the community, equal contributors to their household economy, equal contributors to the lives of their children. So what we see is that as both men and women live inside the calling of God and as they receive who God has called them to be, they like breathe life into one another and cause each other to flourish in a way that we see best represented in the garden before the fall. In the garden, when God is creating humanity, he says, let us make them in our own image. And that doesn't mean that God is saying, let's make sure to give people skin and hair and teeth and bones and stuff to look like, look like me. What he's saying is, I want to craft humanity in a way that they can carry the DNA of my heart. That when they go out and do what I've called them to do as they trust in me, they look like me. So that as people see their wisdom, as people see their loving kindness, as people see their strength, their ingenuity, their prowess, they bear the image of their creator and they bring life to creation as they walk within that image of God. And Proverbs 31 is describing that, that those attributes that a woman carries that are marks of her creator that he has given her to carry in her heart. A woman's value in Proverbs 31 is emphasized before any of the stuff she does is listed out. Before anything, like before any of her work is identified, it starts with saying her worth is far more valuable than rubies. And it's, again, it's not because of who she is or what she does, but it's because of the God in whom she places her trust. And as a child of God, we shine his light into the dark world. And this is something that men and women do together. And we bring out the life. We bring out God's glory in one another. The Madrigal family throughout the movie of Encanto goes through a lot. At the end of the movie, they realize that they have they had built their identity falsely on what they can do instead of who they are. And so you kind of see their life literally and figuratively crumble in this movie. And at the end, I'm so sorry if you haven't seen it yet, but I promise like, even if I spoil this next little bit, it's still totally worth it. I'm leaving a lot of content out, so it's still worth the watch. But at the end, they begin to rebuild. And Mirabel is, or excuse me, Mirabel is finally given this opportunity to shine the light that's inside of her. Let's go ahead and watch. The new foundation. It isn't perfect. Neither are we. That's true. Just one more thing before the celebration. What? We need a doorknob. We made this one for you.
she just came alive and as she comes alive she brings that life and that light to the community and the family around her proverbs 31 ends with an invitation to celebrate and not even just an invitation it's a command it's a command for us to recognize who god has called us to be and to celebrate him for it, and to celebrate the women who walk out the way that God has called them. God has wildly and generously gifted humanity. He's held nothing back in his creation and in how he has gifted his people. He's held nothing back. And so as we think about the fearless women in our life who put their trust in God, we celebrate the attributes of God that we see them play out and we see them live out and walk out. That as they put their hope in God, they don't know what tomorrow holds, but they know God is already there and God at the same time will go there with them. And when the storm comes, and scripture says storms will come, we can put our confidence and our hope and our trust in the God who goes with us and the God who controls the storm. as we're preparing a meal for those we love, whether it's our family or friends, we can praise God for how he has gifted women in their ingenuity of, of how they provide that. We don't have to praise women who just meet this certain criteria or fit into a certain mold or category. God has called us to celebrate his goodness and celebrate his wild gifting in all that put their trust in him. And as his light shines through us, we shine that light into a world. So 
we don't have to look very far to find women to celebrate. This room is full of them. Women of all different stages, all different walks of life, all different careers or ages. And scripture commands us to celebrate them and praise them. And scripture calls them heroes and scripture calls them virtuous. And scripture admires them for their strength and for their loving kindness that they have received from the Father and that they give so beautifully to the world. We're gonna end today with a song. I think it's a song that a lot of us are familiar with. It's called The Blessing. And our worship team will sing this over you. But one thing I also wanna remind us is that as members of a church community, yes, we stand and, and we receive this blessing and simultaneously, as we receive that blessing, we sing it out over each other as well and proclaim this blessing and proclaim God's goodness over each other as well. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. <laughs>